everybody, and welcome back to uh, the Generators Podcast. It is episode 58, and uh, I hope you're doing good out there in the world. Um, I am here again in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth, and uh, I'm recording this intro on a somewhat gray and gloomy Monday morning before I go into... um, Start the day at 22 minutes, and we have our, our show taping tonight. It's already our third one, and uh, it's crazy how fast this is moving. And I know people say it all the time, but it is it is flying by right now, and Monday's just come in the blink of an eye. So i um, grateful to be working, and um, obviously, but it's it's amazing how fast these things these things are going by. Um, what's going on with me? Great question. You've asked a great question. Had a pretty chill weekend. Um, been trying to rest more on the weekends. I find Monday to Friday, I feel like I'm pretty tired by the time the week ends and, uh, just trying to rest and catch up on sleep. Had some crazy call times this past week for the show. Um, 545 AM. I mean, you, you do one of those once. And you're chasing sleep for the rest of the week, you know, and uh, that was my call time on Friday. So um, just tried to rest on the weekend and managed to do that. Took a beautiful walk down in Point Pleasant Park here in Halifax. If you've never been, gorgeous, gorgeous spot. Um, Starting this beautiful little park and uh, all these gorgeous trees that are turning turning fall colors. And you end up right down by the ocean. It's amazing. Beautiful. One of the prettiest parks I've been in. There you go. I'm saying it. You heard it here first. Point Pleasant Park up there in the top five of um, city parks in the world. And I only have been to six, but it's in the top five. That's pretty good. So um, so took a big walk there yesterday and I kind of needed that. They just kind of get back out around some nature and whatnot, you know. So did that, came back, big nap. Um, it was in bed early again last night. So I, uh, trying to rest up here, you know, get ready for the big show today. Anyway, that's what I'm, and I got to get ready for a comedy festival. Halifax comedy festival is going on at the end of the month and I got to figure out what I'm doing joke wise. And I haven't been on stage in three months. So, well, let's see how that turns out. Um, all right. Setting up this episode. My guest this week is, uh, a fellow Newfoundlander, uh, Mr. Tom Power is on the show and uh, recorded this episode last week, I guess, or a week and a half ago uh, with Tom via Zoom in Toronto. Tom is a host of uh, the program Q on CBC Radio and is also um, one of the members of the Dardanelles, um, fantastic uh, band out of Newfoundland to, to play traditional uh, Newfoundland music and, and Irish folk music and and um, some great, great stuff on there and a great live band. So he's a pretty busy guy. Um, they've got an album coming out in November. And uh, yeah, Tom and I get into a bunch of stuff from, you know, um, navigating uh, the new realities that we're all trying to deal with, how that's affected his show um, and, um, and things he's learned um, and what he's noticed with his interviews that he's done now. Well, he's done well over 3000 interviews. We've done that. We do that math during the episode and what he's noticed from his guests um, in this kind of new world that we're living in. So anyway, sit back and enjoy this episode uh, and my chat with Mr. Tom Power.
right. I am joined by uh, Tom Power. Tom Power, I have not seen you since the spectacle that was Mark Critch's wedding. Now, I know about you, but when I left Mark Critch's wedding, I went, all other weddings should be illegal. There is no need for anyone else to attempt to have another wedding. This was the festival to, to beat all other nuptials in the, down the road. You have, from Peter Mansbridge to uh, Gordon Pinson to fireworks across the harbor. I'm like, no one shall beat this ever. Was that, what was your feeling leaving this wedding? I left, uh, David Cochran called this, oh God, I gotta look at my seat there. David Cochran called it a uh, Newfoundland fantasy camp, <laughs> which I, I really thought was the, it was a great example of it because there was, there was like, I was, I was, we were playing, Meg was playing, the Ennises were playing, Alan Doyle was playing, people were jigging cod, people were drinking, there was fireworks, Gordon Pinsent was there, Danny Williams was there. It was, I think that's the reason the pandemic started was because like, that was it. We had a good enough time. Newfoundland had like its best time and they were like, shut it down for a year. You shut it, it down for a year and then <laughs> that's it. it. Yeah. yeah. No no one else is allowed in now for a year. Jeremy Charles, Wolverine chef is out there stirring up a pot of fish soup out on the wharf, right? I'm like, where are we right now? Like, what is happening? Alan Hocko was flexing. <laughs> <laughs> While he shrugged scallops, it was like, yeah, you yeah, yeah, want a scallop, you know, and open him wine like this, you know? <laughs> but a critch trick you into, oh, Tom, now you're coming down. You know, you can bring an instrument down with you if you'd like. I mean, you know, there might be a few times. And then kind of ropes you into being the, the, the uh, wedding band, or how did that come about? He is the first Newfoundlander to not do that. Uh, he is the first Newfoundlander to not be like, why don't you come now? Why don't you boys come now and play a few tunes there now? You know, it might be, you know, I just come to the wedding and bring your guitar just in case you'll be a bit of a jam later. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, a bit of a jam sounds good to me. And then next thing you know, it's like, we'll start to jam. And it's like me. And people don't understand that I'm an accompanying musician that like, well, I need like a fiddle player or something like that. Right, that's right. No, Mark, Mark did it the right way. Mark asked and, you know, and, cause he likes the Dards a lot. He likes the Dardanelles a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, uh, he brought, he brought us out and we, we flew people in for it. And oh, it man. was, uh, it was very fun. It was surreal, man. Yeah. It was surreal. And I actually said, uh, someone else I knew was getting married after that. And I started going through the checklist. I said, now, will there be, uh, you know, some of the best in the world in any capacity and doing any jobs there in terms of cooking musicians? Will there be fireworks? Will there be, and he went, like, he went, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got all that. All that set up. It's all part of the wedding package, right? <laughs> At the community center. Uh, you get fireworks, you get world out, everybody. And uh, so, dude, with the podcast now, I've been checking in with people. Oh, hold on now, Trent. Oh, my, press pause for a second. My, no inter- my internet's shagging up a little tiny bit. There, there's, no, there's no wedding quite like it because, yeah, it was, it was fun. And then I love the night, the, first, the night before where we had like pop covers and, you know, it was, it was really fun. It was awesome. Yeah. And uh, one of my takeaways from this, and I haven't told this story to many people, was a uh, the, the day after, so the two two days of festivities, and the next day, you know, you're kind of a little bit sluggish, a little bit foggy, you know. So right, one of the takeouts there, right on the water, and uh, Gordon Pinsent wanders on by and sits down with, uh, you know, with his family and sits down. He sits down at the table, and I order this big feed of fish and chips or whatever, and I ask Gordon Pinsent if he wants a fraud. He's like, he kind of ponders and like, I think I will. I think I would in that Gordon Pinson <laughs> voice. And that was the other thing too for Chris's wedding. It's like the dude had like Gordon Pinson speaking at the wedding. I'm like, who's gonna top that? Are you gonna go up there? I know. Go after it. Well, impossible. I was so happy I didn't have to do a reading after that, you know. And like and God love, you know, anyone who did did a lovely job. Oh, but when um but I love I love the idea that he's like, you know, to everything there is a season. Oh, 
unbelievable time for love. And, yeah, you felt like yeah, I, I think I, I think I got married while I didn't even know it. You know, like I whoever I'm him. sitting next to, I got married. I committed to whoever yeah. I was next to. I was like, you know what? Let's take this walk through life together here. Now, what's your name? <laughs> um, Danny Williams. Danny, what's going on? Uh, get, get to know me. Um, but anyway, I've been checking in with people with the with the, you know this new world we're living in right now, and I, I looked at where I was. Uh, when I was four shows into a tour and then had to cancel the rest of this Canadian tour that I was about to do. And I'd just gone to see Matthew Good here in Halifax at the Marquee and not knowing in the moment that this was the last live show that I would see for quite some time. And it was incredible. It was amazing. And, you know, since I've thought about all the things that I've taken for granted, you know, over the years as a performer myself, and then of all the amazing shows I've got to witness and stuff. And so that really impacted me, especially those first couple of weeks with the uncertainty of you know, when will we get out of this and when can we go back outside and when will stores open? What has your journey been like now to the, through the, if you go back to the early, the early months with in your journey for a person? Yeah, I, I was, um, I started out, um, I had a very strange experience because I was on my way to the Junos. So Q was going to do uh, a show live from Saskatoon and we were on our way. Well, we had, we, we were on our way to the airport and there was all this talk. I mean, there was, you know, the, 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 we knew the numbers were starting to go up and nothing had happened in Saskatoon yet. And there was a couple of cases in Toronto. So I called CBC and they were like, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we're still going, we're going to keep our eye on it. The Junos haven't canceled yet. And then I went out to, we, we got on the plane and I flew in. I think I got into Saskatoon at like eight or nine or maybe even like 10 PM. And I got, you know, you know, you know, it's like, you get to the hotel, you pass out, you know, you're, you know, I woke up the next morning, the 33 texts on my phone saying like Tom Hanks has coronavirus. The NBA is canceled. It was that day. Uh, the NBA, the NBA, so I turn on TV and it's like something out of, you know, out of contagion, you know, yeah. like it's just, you're just, you know, you, you couldn't, you're like, okay, so I'm, I'm not at home. I'm, I have to go on a plane today. Uh, we have to get out of here. Like we can't, and then the Junos are canceled. So CBC, because they're amazing. They, you know, they booked flights for everybody who was there and we all got out of there. So I think I was in Saskatoon for like 14 hours, maybe. Wow. And you know, 14, 15 hours. But, um, we went to breakfast. And I think about this sometimes, but we went to breakfast uh, and we had like, I don't know, whatever it was, like a nice, you know, on the road breakfast, your bacon and your eggs and all that kind of stuff, and your cup of coffee and all that. And I've often thought that that's the last bit of normal I had. Right. I went there and had a cup of coffee, you know, paid a server, no mask or anything like that, you know, and just did my normal thing, got on a plane, flew back. Uh, wore a mask on the, I don't think we wore masks on the plane, but yeah, maybe we did. I, I don't know if we were, we were told to yet. Right. Yeah. And, totally uh, but I remember wiping everything down. We all thought it was the hands, right? So I remember wiping everything down. Yes. Uh, and then I, you know, and then we kind of landed in Toronto and then that was kind of it. The next day we were back in the office saying like, okay, what's the plan? And then like, I think like two days later we were, um, we were, I was working from home and we were off the air actually for a while. We were off the air for about a month because the current had to go long in order to update everybody on what was going on. So, and then I started doing a TV show out of here and it was, it was wild, but you know, um, things have sort of come, I mean, things are pretty bad here in Toronto. Uh, you know, cases are really going up and we're starting to get scared again. And, you know, with the, with the winter coming on, it's, it's a little bit even scarier for people, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, but it does feel like a lifetime ago. I agree with you on that. Yeah. Like it feels like a lifetime ago that that all happened. I had just came back from New York, so I was like, I was like one day out from. If you had been out of the country, you had to quarantine for two weeks. I was like one day out because wow. I had yeah. been there to do an interview. So had I been there, 
um, again, a couple of days later, I would have been in quarantine. It was just, it was wild. It was terrifying. Crazy, man. Yeah. It, it, you're right too. It is kind of, and I, I compare it to somewhat 9-11, I guess, in a way where like what travel was like before and after, and now we can't remember what, we used to just walk on planes, did we, before it was there, you know what I mean? Like we, we things change so much, just like we just blow up to the airport, walk on the runway and how did we get on planes? You know, like I don't remember the old world, even though it was only seven months ago. I'm like, did we, you know, did we just walk around without these things and you walked into a store and you you know, I got yelled at actually at a place in Canmore that um, was looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, natural soaps. Tom, you know who I am. And uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man who loves a natural soap and an I go, oil. I understand. Is this zest? And so anyway, I, uh, I, I go up to the uh, I, I grab the bottle and I go to smell it. And this woman, one of the staff came yelling and running across the store. She's like, you can't touch that. You can't touch that. And it's like you have these moments where you go back, you know, back to the way that things were because that muscle memory is still in there. Um, but uh, but it's been, man, it's been an interesting journey. And, and for I, just, you, I was just looking at a photo of my dad, uh, my late father, and, and, and a man sent me um, a man who, not a random man, a man was like, here are pictures of your late father. You know, that <laughs> yes. would be terrifying. But uh, a, a man, yeah, I have many pictures of him. Um, uh, just like him being terrified at the mall. Yeah, uh, he he he, um, he wrote me some pictures. He went to talk with my father um, and he sent me some pictures. And one of them was of my dad at a, at a golf course. This was like eight minutes ago. Yeah. And um, I looked at, I looked at the photo and I think I, he was at a golf course at a buffet. And my brain went to like, yeah, put on a mask. You don't put your mask on. You know, like <laughs> this photo was taken in like 2003. You know what I mean? That's but right, like yeah. in my mind, it would just, it stressed me out that he didn't have his mask on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you feel that anxiety. Now you look forward to it. I had a bunch of stand up just talking about, you know, going the wrong way down uh, grocery store aisles and stuff and the looks you'd get from people. And, uh, you know, kind of, I've tried I now. back down them. I don't think that's supposed to be it, but I back down. <laughs> there, if, I, if, I'm, if, I, if I need to get something that's going the wrong way, I'll back up. Yeah, yeah. I'm like at least that way, if someone sees me, I can look like I was going forward. You know? Exactly. Optically, it yeah. looks fine. You ever have something mm-hmm. too that's at towards the end of the aisle, and you're like, "Do I got to go all the way around now and down that aisle just to get to that that those crackers there at the very end?" It's like I can't just slide in there real quick and just grab those, or someone's gonna, <laughs> some cops going to fly out of the aisle somewhere and wipe me up. <laughs> So I've been, I've been trying to navigate, like, what are the rules here? But all these things, too, as weird as they are, eventually become normal. Like all things, it's like we just get into that pattern, and that's the way we, you know, we kind of go about it. Um, and for you now, too, like I'm, I'm always interested in talking to people who talk to people. I mean, that's what you do for a living. And have you have your interviews changed now? Because you're doing a lot of this stuff, obviously via you know via Zoom or, or whatever how you're doing it, and. How has that changed for you in terms of your day-to-day job, in terms of that interaction with people? And, and you know, because I, I prefer to have people in the room. I love that. I love that interaction of kind of, I think it's, it comes across as more authentic. You can read body language. You're getting all these, you know, nonverbal cues. For you as a guy who does this for a living, how has it impacted you? So there's a couple of, there's a couple of things here. One is that um, we've been able to get, this is, this is, sounds awful to say, but like we've been able to get guests that uh, I guess I haven't done the show in the past. So that's been interesting. Like we've been like Jerry, like I'm talking to Jerry Seinfeld tomorrow and like awesome. Jerry Seinfeld was always like a bit of a white, like he just never did interviews. And if he did interviews, it wasn't with us, and, you know, and like, but like, so I, I feel like people are more likely to talk because I think there's fewer avenues and they, they need to talk. So they can't tour and they need to do all that. stuff. So that in some ways it's been, um, 
in some ways, our, our, our guest list has, has gone kind of through the roof. And I think it coincided with a couple of good interviews we did in January and February, right before the pandemic, and kind of got our name out there a little bit and right. some stuff that did well. So that's 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 been really nice. Um, but in the past, when we would have sort of bigger interviews, and, and you would actually know about this, because I think this is how I had you on, uh, was you were in a radio studio and we weren't looking at each other. Right. Because I was always under the impression, and I was always told by you know, management at CBC that, oh, you know, you need to have you know a solid quality you know, interview microphone to microphone and all that kind of stuff. And you, you know, you don't want to have people on the phone. You know, definitely don't want to people have over Skype as they would say. Right. Yeah. And um, I think the pandemic has, I mean, this is sort of brass tacks. I know, I know that there's, there is, there is a more existential uh, answer coming. I promise. <laughs> I, but, I, um, I got nowhere to be. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, uh, it, it's, you know, I've been able to look at people like this and, you know, um, if I only did interviews on cue with people I saw in real life, I'd probably only do about three or two or three a week right. instead of we do about 20 a week. Right. Crazy. So, um, so it was, but it was typically people in LA or New York or in Halifax or in Calgary in uh, radio studios. So now I'm able to see people, I'm actually able to have some nice conversations with people. You know, I'm able to read some body language. I'm able to look at them. I'm able to laugh with them. I'm able to joke around a little bit more. So that's, that's been really nice. Do I definitely miss having people in the studio? Yes. Do I miss having bands in the studio? Like an yeah. unbelievable amount. And do I miss going out? and doing shows live like we used to do uh, absolutely but what's been interesting is that i feel like i've never had this many conversations on the show about like spirituality mm -hmm. i'm not saying that the show has turned into a thing where i go like well isn't christ the best and they go like oh yeah i love christ that was the Nothing original like name that. of the show wasn't it isn't christ yeah the yeah best? it was and actually the... yeah that was i said uh can we change the name i don't know about cute is a bad history they were like how about isn't christ the best i was like ah, let's keep it with cute so uh <laughs> so but, but, but i i do i do find that I think, you know, this has caused us to pause. We may have lost people. We may have had to look at our priorities. We may have had to consider empathy for people uh, in a way that we haven't before. We may have had to um, look at a, a political, uh, a social, a, a racial, a class-based situation and look at blind spots and look, look, you know, that perhaps we didn't know we had. And I think the best result of that is that you have empathy. You have, you have a deep empathy. So I have found that the interviews I've done, I have been having more conversations about um, empathy, about gratitude, about, um, yeah, again, spirituality, like, mm -hmm. you know, heavy, heavy stuff. Um, I find people are kinder. I find there's far less sort of diva behavior. I find there's, and that's not non, an ungendered diva, you know, just people being arseholes. Like I, I find there's far less of that. Yep. People are, are far, you know, incredibly generous. And um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's been, it's been okay. It's been, you know, challenging because, you know, there's only four of us working in the office and everybody else uh, is, is at home working from home, working really diligently, working really hard. But, you know, so I, I, I'm like, like yourself on 22, I work with like a big team of people yeah. and I'm just not, you know, I've, I've worked with these people for five years now and I'm not able to see them. So that's, that's, that's challenging and, and not being able to hang out and then laugh with one another. And, but yeah, that's some sort of the big one. You know, I've noticed that like, I'm, I'm able to have sort of deeper human conversations with people and they're willing to go there. Um, and I want to go there. Um, I think because I think the pandemic has, you know what I mean? Has, yeah. has framed some stuff for us. You know? Yeah, I agree. It's funny because uh, Sam Roberts was on the podcast a few weeks back and 
I mentioned to Sam how I feel like with all this stuff going on, I've kind of gone inward a lot more. You know, you, the things that I used to focus on and that meant a lot to me now, it, all that stuff gets minimized. You realize, you know, family, your health, all those things are the important things. And Sam said something really interesting. He said his music, he feels, you know, he said for the first song, first time ever in a song, he said, thank you. And a lot of the songs on this new album are him going back to nostalgia. And he said, he used to stay away from that for a long period of time. Like kind of just was like, ah, it's, you know, I, I don't want to go there. And I think there's something to nostalgia that we feel secure in these days where our present and future is so uncertain going backwards to your childhood, to the old days, there's a comfort in that, you know? And I don't know if you've seen that with any of the guests that you've talked to where there's been this, this kind of longing for whether it's just the, this the recent past or going way back to childhood. Has any of that kind of stuff come up with people? You know, a little bit, what's been, what's been more interesting is, uh, is how many friends I've spoken to because I'm, I'm a musician and I spend a lot of time with musicians and I, I've been talking on the phone with them. How many of them are thinking about getting the band back together? Right. I'm not going to say any names here because uh, I'll, I'll, they'll kill me. But like, I know some, I know some bands that have said to me that they're going to start getting back together. And I had to, I have to admit that I was thinking about that, that like there is a, um, there's an affection for that time, you know, and you have to make sure that it doesn't cloud you, but that, you know, the worst case scenario, it's an affection for that time that's misguided and your life has actually moved on. And once the world opens back up, you're, you're in a little bit of trouble. Best case scenario is you looked at the priorities that, of your life that you had when you were young, that you prioritized maybe before you started thinking a lot about money, before you started thinking a lot about fame, before you started thinking a lot about notoriety. Um, when you were looking at something maybe deeper and something a bit more creative in yourself, uh, that's sort of the best case scenario. And in, in brass tacks, you know, like I've been thinking a lot about my life in Newfoundland. You know, this is, I have never, I mean, I, I definitely, I've always missed Newfoundland. I'm always incredibly proud to be from there, but I definitely had some time where I was like, you know what? I'm really happy up here in Toronto for now. You know, like I love the big city and I love, you know, I, I love the opportunities that it affords me. I love the restaurants. I love going to shows. I love not having to fly three hours to fly somewhere else. That's I right. can just, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can just do the first, I can just do the second plate first. Yeah. You can just start with uh, the connection. Yeah. You just start with the yeah, connection I, and go where you're going. I know, I know. <laughs> Including to England. Like when you fly to England, you have to fly over St. John's, <laughs> land in Toronto and fly back to St. John's, right? That's crazy. Which I did with my band like a bunch of times. I thought they were going to, we never came so close to breaking up as when I was able to go home from Pearson and they had to wait five hours and then fly back to St. John's after we've been on like a 12 hour flight from Scotland, right? Oh man, yeah. So, but it has like, I've been, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but like, I don't really know, like, um, your, 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 I, I know your story a little tiny bit, but I don't like you lived in Cornerbrook till you were, you were. Yeah. And I went to live in Cornerbrook till second year of university, went to Grenfell for a couple of years and then went into St. John's and, and later finished university and worked in there for a bunch of years. And I moved to Calgary when I was 30. So when, I was, I was there for 30, 30, when I left the rock, I had to go to Calgary to kind of go, all right, I got to try and find a make a way for myself and make a life for myself. So. So are, do, are are you finding yourself missing Newfoundland a little bit? Like, yeah, I think I too have gone down that road of what am I doing with the rest of my life, and where do I want yeah. to wake up each morning? And also, yeah. everything in my life, like I've audited friendships, I've audited relationships, I've audited what am I doing with my career? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? You know, like I, everything's put under a fine microscope now and really, really questioned. Whereas before, I think I was just kind of on autopilot. This is what I do. Here's how I'm doing things. You care about them and, and, and you're invested, but you don't really have that time to sit and go, why? 
you know, and I think that's, that's what I've been doing a lot of. What's been really nice is that, so the Dardanelles, my band, we're putting out a record in November and we, we did this, we did this record last November, you know, like we've been, we've been working on Lesson Law before the pandemic, we started working on this and we recorded it. It is sort of nice. It, it has become sort of like a little touchstone of my, of my other life or my past life or, you know, that I've been able to sink some time into. And, and it's been a nice vessel by which to, to readjust my priorities in a really nice way, you know, like yeah. be that traditional music, you know, folk music, um, you know, Newfoundland, uh, you know, morals, values, uh, uh, the, you know, an opposition to celebrity culture, like all these things yeah. that when you're, when you're in kind of going through every day, I often say to this, to the guests on the show is that like, what I'm really interested in is the, is the mid time between when you can't turn your phone on on the plane, when the plane's about to land. So you, you got no movie to watch. You don't want to read your book and you can't, you can't use your phone and you got like 10 minutes. And that's when I think the coolest stuff, it's so incredibly sad that that's the only time we have anymore, Yeah. but I find it incredibly like important time. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like, what am I doing? Or it can, it can be like, what am I doing with my life? Um, what are my priorities or look what I've done so far. This is pretty amazing. Yeah. This is pretty wild. And, um, I've been having a couple of those moments in a really nice way, you know? Yeah. That's a, that's a good point, man. Takeoff time. I've never really thought about that, but that, you're right. That's the only kind of real time we have to actually go. I have no outside stimulus whatsoever. And I have to sit here in my own thoughts. And that could be a dark place for some folks. If you've not spent a lot of time there. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I know. And like, sometimes when I talk to guests, I'll be like, do you ever think about this? Like how far I've come and God knows we don't like when it was the last time you sat down and went like, there I was at Grinful and now here I am in 22 minutes. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. But I, I do like to imagine that those minutes, when the plane's about to land, you might get a minute to go like, huh, okay. okay. Cool. All right. All right. Cool. Definitely. Let's yeah. do this. Sure. Do it all right. Do it all right. So I so you know that's that yeah, that's been on my mind. Um the nostalgia has been an interesting part of it. You know, yeah, wanting to wake up maybe near the water, being around my family, uh, being around traditional music, being around that, you know, being around the music that I love. Um, yeah, these things I mean, they're sort of swimming in my brain all the time, you know. Yeah, it becomes a, a bit of an audit of, of what's precious and what's maybe not so much, you know, that you may have been holding on to, whether it's an object, whether it's a, a relationship that may not still serve you. You know, there's there's all this time to actually do that, which if you can use it for that. I'm sure there's folks who didn't and just played PlayStation and went down the Netflix rabbit hole and didn't spend any time. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, the entire time. Exactly. I, um, I've been inside a few weeks. What's going on? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, things are pretty good, man. You know, like I got an ounce gone now. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly been, it's certainly been interesting. Um, and I, I'm also unbelievably grateful that I got a bit of work to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. At a time when so many people are, are wondering how they're going to pay rent and, you know, if CERB runs out and all that stuff, you know, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm unbelievably grateful that I got a bit of work to do that can keep me under this, you know, a bit of heat in the house and a bit of food and, you know, a bit of booze and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's, it has also shifted that priority too, like not entirely romantically shifted my priorities as well. It's also said like, Oh geez, you know, it's nice to have something to be at. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt about it. And we feel the same way here at 22. I mean, just grateful to have another season and, and the, you know, the whole crew that helped put the show together that we all are get to get this little family together again and do our thing. I mean, there was no guarantee that was going to happen. So I think you're right. Gratitude is uh, alive and well for, for all of us to still yet to do it. Take me back now, Tom, to a young Thomas Power growing up. 
Were you a fellow just walking around playing tunes, asking people questions? Like, was that just your at the talent show? Like, yeah, Tom, Tom's going to come out and play a little bit. And he's going to sit down, interview other students, and he's going to be like, "Now, uh, Lisa, you're doing a lot of skip and rope. When'd you get into that? Tell us a bit about it. Like, were you, were you already interviewing, <laughs> interviewing people as a kid? And what was I it? Mean, what, was, no, what was young Tom Power like? <laughs> I was, I was a pretty. I think I was a pretty normal, unathletic kid. Like okay. I was, you know, like I was, a, I did played a bit of soccer and I played, you know, I didn't, I can't still can't skate. I didn't play in hockey. Right. Uh, I played a bit of soccer. I, you know, played a lot of video games, you know, played a lot of NHL and, 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 and stuff like that with my brother and took piano lessons and was horrible at it and had a really great teacher who, and I just didn't care. And I sang a little bit and then, you know, in like the Kiwanis Music Festival in like a really high voice, like falsetto, you know, and and <laughs> I, was, I did that. I was that. a soprano. I was a soprano yeah. in the choir. They're like, uh, you tall, dark guy, get in the back. And I'm oh, like, just, yeah. I don't even. I was a soprano too. I was in the Newfoundland Symphony Youth Choir. It's now called Shalloway. Right. So I was in Shalloway and, um, and I was a bit of an outcast. Like, I think I had a couple of good friends. I, I had like, I had two or three good friends and, um, but I, I, I didn't really know how I fit in because I didn't really play hockey. I wasn't, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I didn't really have a lane to be in. And then, you know, I got into Shalloway and then I started to say that like, Oh, okay, there's, there's other people who are into music in, in, in the way that I, maybe I, I like music and stuff like that, because I like weird music really young. Like the first CD I ever bought out of my own money was Rufus Wainwright's solo album. Wow. Okay. At what yeah, age? Like not, not Motley Crue, like uh, 11, 12 years old. Okay. Like, yeah. You know, um, 10, maybe like I remember wow. watching, I was homesick from school. No, it had be younger i was home i was young enough that when i was homesick from school my nan had to take care of me and nice. i was at my nan's house and i was watching uh much more music and rufus wainwright's album came on so i and i, I loved it and i called fred's records like hi do you have rufus wainwright and they were like uh yeah i guess who, who are you so you know what what small child wants a rufus was this like you know so i i thought i was like a benjamin button kind of thing. like i was like i had regressed but i was 78 years old so i went down and i and i i, I got the i got the rufus wainwright city so I, I i liked that and then when i went to shallow I said, oh, yeah, you know, like there's other people who really like music. And then um, my dad taught me how to play the guitar when I was about 12 or 13. He, he knew that my, my, the, the music that I come from is not necessarily a performance based one, but like my family, maybe, maybe like yours, uh, played a lot of music around the house. Like there was right. a lot of like singing along and guitars and, and people singing. My mom was a great singer. My dad played guitar and my brother is a great guitar player. And, you know, my sister's a great musician. She's in the swinging bells and stuff like that, you know? So, so we, we played a lot of music around the house. Um, and I always just loved that. So my dad taught me how to play guitar mainly so I could play along at family gatherings. Right. Uncles and aunts came over and boxed day and all that it like, stuff it like, and then, it was like teaching you a card game back in the day like now tom here's how you play scat and so just so you can yeah. sit on the table so but for you guys it was it was grab an instrument where you want yeah. to be here you're gonna have to learn how to play something yeah like and like especially my in my individual family within my family was sort of like the people who played the music my aunt gwen certainly played piano but like at a certain point we have a really big annual boxing game party and anything traffic birthdays you know funerals any of that stuff like there's there's all kinds of singing going on and i wanted to be you know um, I wanted to be a part of it. So dad taught me how to play the guitar. And then I went to music camp, Eastern music camp um, in Mount Pearl. And uh, that was a real game changer because all of a sudden, again, I had no real friends in school. I was a bit of an outcast. So then I went to music camp and then all of a sudden um, I, I met some people who also liked weird music. Now I liked, you know, I liked, 
whatever I like blind melon and Pearl jam or whatever, which was like not incredibly cool in like 2005, you know, or 2003, you know, like, so I like that kind of music, but then I met people who liked like the red hot chili peppers and they like Dave Matthews band and they like fish or they like jazz and they like classical music. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh, I found a group of little weirdos. I, I, I connect with. And then when I went back to school, I uh, maybe like you realized I was kind of funny. And all of a sudden it didn't really matter that I didn't have the same interests, that I wasn't the the best dresser, the handsomest kid in the class, but I could make people laugh enough not to get the shit knocked out of me. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's your superpower. Your superpower of humor. Yeah. I went from being, I often said, I went from being an idiot to being burnt. Oh my God. So for people out there who are not from Newfoundland and Labrador, you're probably going, what, what, who was on fire? Who was, how tough was the neighborhoods that these people grew up in? Tom, please explain what burnt means in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well, it can mean a bunch of things, but I think in, in junior high, it means like just kind of weird and silly and funny. Yeah. You know, when you get a bit older, it means you're, you're stoned all the time. You know? Right. But when, at that time, like I could walk by, you're doing something silly. And I go, Tom, you're burnt by like, you know what I mean? Like you're burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that, yeah, it was kind of a compliment. You're right. It was kind of like, we enjoy your level of entertainment. It's crazy, but we all enjoy it as a collective. Yeah. And then, so I was, I managed to get through junior high being burnt and that nice. was enough for me, you know? And then, and then, but then I went to Holy Heart and then, um, uh, Holy Heart, in, if you don't know, in, in, in St. John's is, so it's not a private school, it's a public school, um, but it's a school where a lot of artsy kids go. Mm-hmm. And I begged my mom to go talk to the principal and I didn't, I, I wasn't part of that. You know, I, I shouldn't have gone to the school necessarily, but mom somehow got me in because she was a teacher. And then I found myself, again, surrounded by weird, nerdy art kids. Yeah. And by this point, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou had come out. I had heard the CD in my brother's. I had stolen it. I used to sneak into my brother's room almost every day when he was out, which he loved, and uh, <laughs> stole his and stole his CDs and listened to them. And, um, and then I heard bluegrass music, and it changed my life forever. And I loved it an incredible amount. I had never felt anything like it. And then my mom got me into... Um, my mom called around to see if I could get banjo lessons. because I was dying to play the banjo, you know, like just for the girls. And, uh, and I, they, so I, and then, so there was this guy who wouldn't take me as a student. Cause he said like, well, I don't know how serious I don't really teach. And then I put together a bluegrass band. We played the folk festival and this guy named Neil Rosenberg, and it's a bit of a long answer, but this guy named Neil Rosenberg, um, uh, took me on as a banjo student and he was a folklorist. And, what that meant was to me was that he got paid to go around and do like you were saying what I was doing anyway, which right. was just constantly asking people about what they do and why they do it. And, and instead of asking celebrities and all that kind of nonsense, he was going around to farmers. He was going around to woodworkers. He was going around to quilters. He was going around to, 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 to people and saying like, you know, why do you make music? Why do you write stories? Why do you tell stories? Why do you quilt? And why does it mean? Mm-hmm. And I went, oh man, that's just like, I've, I've just always been, I'm the youngest of three by nine years and 11 years. Oh, wow. And my parents were older when they had me. So I was raised by older people. So I was always asking questions. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And then I found out that that was sort of a discipline. And then, uh, yeah, that's what I did in school. So I, the, 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 long, the answer is that I ended up doing folklore in school where I was ultimately incredibly curious about why people do what they do why people make the art that they make, what's behind the art that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what, and then I, I had no idea that those skills would be transferable to do in radio and never in millions. 
Amazing, isn't it, too, when you I've, I've found that too talking to a lot of people about that moment when you find your people, like your tribe, yeah. your community. And for me as a comedian to leave Newfoundland, which is, you know, an hysterically funny place, but there wasn't an established stand up comedy community in a place where you could go you know, do sets and try stand up. So I moved to Calgary, go to an amateur night at a club. And the second I walk off stage, I go, this is it. This is what I was supposed to do. And not only that, I met other weirdos who are like, oh, yeah, we're also going to work for peanuts and travel to God knows where for $11. And it's going to cost us 70 to get there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this all makes perfect sense. Let's all do this together. But you need that tribe of people to validate all these things that you have going on in your crazy little mind. Because before that, you're just an outsider and you don't feel like you fit in with everyone else who was doing the nine to five thing. And, 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 you know, Trent, what's your plan? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I, you know, like, so the arts quite often, once you find the, that group of people, it's amazing what that does and how it energizes you. I've often thought of the people we lose to it, you know, like the, the, you know, the people who like, I don't know if there's a guarantee that you do find your people. Right. And I often wonder about the people who, and I, I remember I had Getty Lee on the show one time and he said, he wouldn't stop talking Getty Lee from Rush and he wouldn't stop talking about comparing himself to, you know, weekend warriors playing, you know, playing in the bars and, and stuff like that. And, and, and at one point in the interview, I said, Getty, like you seem to have such an incredible respect for people who play in the pubs on the weekends, you know? And he said, yeah, because it was, it would have been so easy if I didn't meet these guys for that to be me. I probably just would have been an accountant. I probably just would have you know, been a teacher. There's no, in any way, anything wrong with being a teacher or being an accountant. But he saw a, he saw, uh, he saw how, how unbelievable, literally unbelievable it was that things worked out the way they did for them. And I often think about those people who, you know, who didn't end up meeting their people or, or you know, it, it took them a while to find them. And I guess thank God for the internet. Cause oftentimes you can find them there, you know, people who are into like weird old baseball cards, they find them on Reddit or something like that. But there is that moment. In fact, I just did a podcast last summer about bluegrass music. Um, and one of the things that kept on coming up there was I thought I was going to find this like cool, hip bluegrass community in the South. And every single person told me the same thing. Like I thought I was the only person who liked this music until I met this person, you know? And, um, and that was another community I found. Like I had also had gone through my life knowing, thinking that I was the only person who liked bluegrass music this month. Right. And even two, like last year, two years ago, I find like another community and I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, I'm even less yes. weird than i thought you know we're what out i mean there. Like, we're out there there's yes, more of us we're, yeah. we're, i know <laughs> so yeah and then and then the questions thing you know like when i was doing i did the morning show and i was focusing on music and then my 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 executive producer who was then my boss um she had a background in folklore and she saw a connection between the work i had done folkloristically and uh the fact that i was funny and the fact that i knew stuff about music and said maybe he'll be able to do some guest hosting on, on, on Q and then a bunch of stuff happened. And then here I am. Yeah. Amazing, man. Amazing. And, and you do a fantastic yeah. job. Like I say, I love, uh, I love you as I was to that show. And, and um, you, you tend to ask the questions that I would want to ask once people start going down a road and I go, yeah, yeah, that's it, Tom, get them. You got them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so I cheer you on as uh, wherever I am driving or whatever I'm doing. Um, it's interesting too. Uh, I think there's something to be said about regardless of what your tribe is, or even if it's not someone in your tribe, being around people, who are jazzed and energized about what they do is a contagious thing. It's a thing that you were just uplifted. I've told this story to other friends of mine. I remember being in a diner once and there was a server there and it was an older lady. She had her coffee pot and she's going around. She's singing a song. She's filling up coffee pots. She got a smile on her face. She knows everybody's name. I'm like, that lady 
is doing the thing that she loves to do. And I feel like part of the, the misery in the world is people are, are doing things that they don't necessarily want to do, but they feel trapped or they feel they must do. And I go, if everybody could be like that lady, because I think for every job, there's someone who was built and made to do that job, but people are just misplaced for a million different reasons. But when you're around people who love what they do, you feel it. It's an energy in the room. You don't, they don't have to tell you, you know, you know, just by how they interact, how they talk, the look on their face, the way they carry themselves. But the opposite is also true. You know, when you, when you're around people who don't love what they do, you, you feel it, they irradiates that, you know? And, and I think that's the great thing about people who are in the arts generally is they're doing it because they love to do it. You're not doing it. You know, you're not playing the banjo, Tom, and driving around uh, frozen parts of Canada because, uh, you know, the girls are outside the hotel there and they're just, you know, waiting for the, for the, when's the banjo player coming out? Is he, like it's, you know, and it was the same way for me playing stand-up comedy shows in Bonneville, Alberta. You know, there was no, no one gave a shit about who I was and yeah, you were okay. But the other guy, no, he was funny. Like that's, you know, that's what you deal with. Mm-hmm. But you love what you do. And uh, it sounds all, you know, you know, flighty and stuff, but I, I really, really believe that. I believe that energy is, is a real palpable thing. I'm very fortunate to work. I mean, that's kind of, it's kind of what I'm missing right now, you know, with the, with the staff of the show uh, and the producers and everything like that being, uh, being working at home and we still talk and we zoom and we email, but man, I love the, I miss the crackle in the yeah. in the room you know when everyone's fired we got like four four interviews to do that day and there's other it's another eight being worked on and people are handing you stuff and we're talking and we're listening and i mean you know i mean this is sad to say but eddie van halen just died you know yeah, yeah. About, about a couple hours ago and when we're taping this because of radio professionals see i said that Nicely and done. uh Nicely thank done. you very much thank you very much and, uh, <laughs> and um he um I, I, I'm so sad to hear Eddie passed away and, and, and you know, condolences to his family and all that. And I do miss the, those, those moments where something like that would happen. And all of a sudden the next day's show has to be blown open. We have to book guests within hours. Um, and then we all have to come together and, and this is what we're made for. No one's working on cue because they, they want to do something else. I don't think, you know, like it is like, if you want to, it's, it's a great place to work if you want, if you're, if you're, if your passion is the arts and your passion is culture and your passion is radio. And I, I, you know, I think, I think we're, I'm really proud of the job that we do. Uh, so when you're around that energy, man, there's nothing quite like it. There's nothing quite like it. And uh, I, I, I miss it. You know, I miss it. And I guess one of the challenges is how to trick your brain into feeling that way. Yeah. When everyone's working from home. You no. Know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. I realize our little family here at 22 to go back and you see camera people you haven't seen in seven months and, you know, our editing people and people who do graphics and set design and all this stuff. And it's just this little commune of people that we all gather for just six months of the year and we put our head down or our helmets on and we just go at it. And then we all break off and you realize how much you need those people. You need, you realize how much everyone brings to the party. And I had an old soccer coach who would always say, make sure when the game starts that you put your log on the fire. And I was like, yeah, no, I brought a couple logs. I'm going to, yeah, I'll throw whatever I got, I'll throw a boot on there. I don't care. What do you need? You know what I, mean? but I feel like you know, when you're in these productions, people don't see it. They see my face, your, you know, they hear your, your voice or see your face. And it's like, there's so many people behind the scenes doing so much amazing work and doing it tirelessly. Like, especially on our show, there's someone probably building a set right now that may or may not ever be seen by a national mm. audience, you know, when they're sawn wood and measuring and painting and hammering and all this stuff, you know, you never see their faces, but they're such a valuable part of these teams, you know? Do you miss working by yourself though? Like I, you know, I, I, I've never, I've always been a band person. So I've never, as a rhythm guitarist for fiddle player, I literally cannot, 
go out on the road by myself. So I, <laughs> I, I, it would be a really bad show. Um, you need at least security. And, You'll need a security yeah. person for sure. <laughs> and I've done like some speaking gigs, but they've always been, you know, as part of like, you know, and the odd speaking gig. Like, do you miss your career being all your own? It's weird because as we talked about earlier to come kind of come full circle during this audit process of my life, I realized I don't miss that as much. I like the artistic part sometimes of being able to just go up and deliver something the way I want to deliver it in the moment and go for it. But I would give some of that up to be able to have some more camaraderie, especially on the road when you're traveling and it's another meal by yourself and it's another, you know, flight by yourself. It's like, that's why I've always admired bands, you know, who like, yeah, you might be going through the shit, but you're going to go through it together at least, you know, but when you're a comedian, you just have to stand up there and deliver. It's all yours to take, you know? And so traveling alone, I go, man, as you get older, that's just not something that I want to continue to do too much, you know? So I I do. Yeah. Driving in a car by yourself for hours and hours at a time. Right, right. I tell folks all the time, I go, a man can do a lot of thinking about his career from Regina to Calgary, Tom. A man can <laughs> go, is this really, what was that, 11 people last night? I don't know if I can still do this anymore. You know, I, I've got a university degree. I could do other things. <laughs> you can do a lot of pondering. But uh, So I would imagine you got that kind of community with the Dardanelles as well. Like you guys have, you know, you've, you've put a lot of music out there. You've got a lot of shows under your belt. I mean, so you you have a couple of teams that you're a part of. So tell us a little bit about the Dardanelles and kind of the the, uh, the beginnings of that band. Um, the Dardanelles started when I was in high school. I started in starting university. I had gotten out of um, I had left. I was in a, I was in a bluegrass band in high school, and then um, uh, that was kind of fun. You know, we had a good time, and you know, yeah. that was we played like folk festival and stuff like that. And I played banjo. And then what was the name of that uh, band? You know, Tom? Bart and the Bread Picks is a Bart horrible and name. The bread don't, Picks. Don't don't worry about it. We won't have to talk about it. But um, uh, when I was uh, 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 when I was in university, um, I I was so into American music. I was so into American folk music and bluegrass music and, and old time country music and blues music and um, and then I went to Ireland uh, with a with a group of people to play some, just play some, I was like, I got a gig. I said, I got a gig playing bass. I, I, I was one of those people back in Newfoundland who didn't like that old, you know, didn't like that kind of stuff, you know, didn't like that kind of, you know, fiddly diddly, you know, yes. Celtic Newfoundland stuff, which is like the stupidest thing in the entire world. Like it is like the greatest. Yes. And I went over there and I was playing Irish music. And then my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law is Dwayne Andrews. Right. And Dwayne, who's a great guitar player, probably the best guitar player in the East Coast of Canada. And he said to me, hey, can you pick me up the CD while you're over there? You can't get it over here. It's um, it's, it's by Andy Irvine and Paul Brady. And I, it was an CD of Irish music. And I heard that record and um, I bought one for myself because I trusted Dwayne and I just loved it. And I became really interested in Irish music and really obsessed with Irish music. And Dwayne just went one day, he's like, hey, 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 before you get too crazy with this, because he knows how my brain works, that I can just like, if I like something, I'll just like zero in on it and try to learn everything as much as I possibly can about it as fast as I possibly can. Um, he was like, you know, Newfoundland has this kind of stuff. Like we have our own version of this stuff. And then that just blew my mind. So I st- the, the Dardanelle started as this way of like playing some Irish tunes and playing some Newfoundland tunes. I didn't really know what I was doing. And then, you know, uh, Rich Kloss and I started the band with some friends. And then one by one, you know, we started getting new members of the band and people jumped in and, um, and now, you know, we've been together. We're just putting out a new record in November, uh, November 20th, I think we're putting out the record. And, Congrats. Um, you know, yeah, and, and we still love each other. They're my best friends in the entire world. And 
Um, but we made a decision. We were going to start playing Newfoundland music and we were going to start like playing the music from where we're from. And we went out and, you know, collected tunes and found tunes. And we've been lucky enough to, all over the world uh, to play, to play this music. And, 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 uh, and man, I miss it. You know, I do. That's, that's, you know, like, and that's the thing as part of this audit that we're doing is that Q, you know, Q was a great job, but it's all encompassing. And I don't know if I got to go on stage as much. Cause as you know, yeah. if, you don't, if you don't get to go on stage, you start to go completely bonkers. Oh yeah. So I think even when I come back, like that needs to be a bit more of a part of my life just because it, it fills the coffers, man. It puts a, puts a log on the fire. <clears> thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and it's one of those things too, especially in stand up. And I would imagine music's the same way, you know, muscle can atrophy, right. If you don't use it. And so you, you want to keep doing those live shows. And I'm sure for a band, you guys want to stay tight. You want to stay on top of things. You go away for six months, seven months. It's like, you have to kind of refine, you know, you have to find that again. And, and that flow again, um, you got to shape. Like I get tired. Like I'm tired. I'm, you know, like, like, I don't know if you've seen the darts. You've seen the darts a bunch of times. Like it gets yeah. a lot of dancing around and yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And like, if I don't do it, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm winded. Like I've been sitting down interviewing, you know, interviewing, uh, what's his name? Um, Rob Lowe, you know, you don't, you don't build cardio. You don't rock Rob when you're Lowe. interviewing Rob no, Lowe. You like, you're not like, so Rob, tell me a little uh, more about this, Rob. Tell me yeah, more about, yeah, when you were in the uh, Tommy boy, uh, <laughs> Funny, he did yeah. have a run where he was like a bad guy in 90s yeah. comedies. And did it very well. Very, very well. Yeah, he was very already, yeah, very he was believable, good. I think. Yeah. Um, Danny Graves from The Watchman was on the sh- a show a bunch of years ago. <clears throat> and, and The Watchman, of course, had broken up for a bunch of years and got back together. And I said, you know, have things changed now that you guys have gotten back together and done your thing again? And, they, you know, they got a lighter schedule and they just play some shows here and there. Um, and he said, yeah, I said, I think we kind of now look at what each other can do as opposed to what each other can't do. You know, when you, you're going at it so hard and trying to make it and they were doing, they were going full out for those years in the nineties, you're in each other's back pockets after a while. It's kind of like, you know, what that guy does pisses me off. And how come that guy can't do that? And he goes, now we kind of just have more fun with it. It's lighter. And we go, Hey man, we're just delighted that people still come out and, and, and appreciate the songs that we wrote, you know, all those years ago. And so they're kind of just enjoying it now and, and they have separate lives, you know, and do their own things. But um, for you guys now with this, you know, this whole new world that we're in, do you feel that with the Dardanelles, even though you guys not necessarily split up, but like that kind of sense of, of gratitude and gratefulness to be like, yeah, we do, we get to make music. We have an album coming out. Like we're still, we're still doing this. Cause you know, most bands don't, they don't survive, you know. It is, it is um, humbling and surprising that, um, our band, we, we love each other. And, and we've always said that we're going to be friends no matter what, that like, there's nothing, we will never let the band come in the way of our, of our friendship with one another. You know, there'll never be another member besides the five of us. We'll never, you know, if there's ever, if there's ever a threat between the band and us, we'll choose us. Right. Um, because we just have a great time. We have a text thread going all the time. Um, and what's been really, what's been really amazing is that like, I think we gave it a chance to go away. Like right. we didn't tour, we didn't put out records, but our records kept selling. We didn't tour, but the offers kept coming in. And, you know, I think whatever, whatever it is that we're doing, which is, you know, um, I guess one of the things that we really, really cared about in some of the early days is that we love traditional music and we love folk music, but simply because we think the music sounds good. Like we didn't have any, we didn't have any political, we didn't have any nostalgic, we didn't have any sort people would often say to us in interviews like, oh, I mean, isn't this, you know, it's so nice to hear you guys play this music instead of that old rock or that old rap or anything like that. And we would be like, no, 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 no. Like we really like all that music as much as we like this music. Like right. don't try to make us 
into like hey some sort of like um nostalgia band right. or some sort of like white ethno state band that like we're <laughs> playing traditional music but i know like no no we just <laughs> like this music we just want to play it go away you know it and, feels good that's all yeah and, yeah that's all we think it sounds good we think it's badass we think it comes from really cool people who did really cool stuff who were like loggers and yeah. making up crazy cool songs <laughs> while yeah. they were logging like if yeah. that's not the coolest thing in the world like it doesn't need to be like it was an interesting time before they had cell phone it doesn't need to be that it can just be i like my cell phone and they now these guys chopped down logs and worked hard all day and wrote crazy good songs and we like them deadly tool anyway so i think i think that like that purity of intention anyway right um has, has kept us in people's minds and it kept us from being didactic uh so we yeah it's it's and then now that because you know now that two members of a band have kids uh, Matthew has had, Matthew Byrne has had an amazing solo career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, Aaron's had a really amazing career in, in Run Ragged. Um, Amelia's a doctor. You know, Rich works for Parks Canada. I host Q. We've all done things that could have been our. Oh, forget the Dardanelles. You know, forget forget this. You know. So I think you're right. I think the fact that we keep coming back to this thing means that we have a deep gratitude for the music for the people who want to hear it. Um, and yeah, and actually for the actual music itself, like for Newfoundland music, we just really like traditional Newfoundland music or so-called traditional Newfoundland music, Newfoundland Labrador. And um, we want to play it because it like it makes us feel the best. It just makes yeah. us feel great. The audience seems to dig it. It's yeah. I I, I don't feel any crazy pressure to be Mumford and Sons. Right. Uh, but, but I'm excited to, I don't even own suspenders, but I'm, I'm excited about putting this thing out. Got a yeah. set, set out there. I got to, I got to buy a couple sets and I'll get them, get a set out to you. I'll send them braces. Out. They call them back home. Don't they? That's right. Yeah. Me braces. Yeah. Where are we? Yeah. Braces? <laughs> um, it's funny. You're interviewing uh, Jerry Seinfeld tomorrow. You, when you brought this up earlier, his, his, his documentary that he put out years ago, comedian, where he showed that. Yeah. Orny Adams was yes. that his name? Yes. So Orny was the other character in it, and Orny's the up and coming, up and comer trying to make it. And I've worked with Orny actually, you know, since this. But it was before I started stand up, and I got to watch that documentary, and I went, "Oh, this is the process. You just have to write stuff out and take it on stage and fail, and then you keep failing until it gets good." Because up to that point, I thought, "Oh, everything these guys think of originally is brilliant, and that's why they are where they are." I didn't. No one had ever shown you a, a behind the curtain peek at the grind of getting up on stage every night and doing multiple sets a night. And so, you know that that documentary actually was a was a spark plug to me starting stand up. Was like, "Oh well, I I have half baked ideas that I don't know are good or not." So that's all it is. Just go up and see if where I go, or I can start there if that's where you start. And so that was that was my introduction to, to actually seeing how a comedian works and how you treat it as a job. You know, his new book is is all that. His new book, which we're interviewing him for, is um, is all of the jokes he's ever written during these times. Like he's wow. literally his sketchbooks and all on how he write, how he has written the jokes and all of the jokes. It is. I have to say, like I I think I you know I I, I work a fair bit and I know you do too. Um, but when I was watching, uh, when I was reading for the notes to get ready for Jerry today and, and listening to some interviews and man, you know, you, you can't beat a bit of work ethic. I, I'm never going to be one of these people who says that, like, I don't like people who I, I, this rise and grind thing really bothers me. This lack of work-life balance really bothers me. The number of people in the arts who, I've, who, who have been told by people to not have a family, to like not spend Friday night with your with your with someone you love, to not blah, 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 that, that really bothers me. Yep. And 
man, when you work really, really hard at something, whether it's an interview or whether it's a, a song or something like that, man, amazing things can happen. I mean, that's what Conan said, right? Yep. If you work, if you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. Um, Jerry Seinfeld has a way of you just look at it and you go like, it might just be that easy. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. it might just be that easy. Yeah. Just to really put your put your work in, you know? Yeah, yeah. And in that documentary, he talks about watching construction workers go back to work. And he said, they don't always want to go back to work after lunch, but they go. And he goes, so if I take this job as comedian, it's like, sit your ass down and write some jokes. It's, I don't care if you're in the mood to do it or not, but it's irrelevant. It's like, sit your ass in the chair and write some jokes. And I went, oh, that's the the work ethic part of it. I thought we just, we party all night and everyone's having a great time. And we, and when we're in the mood, when I feel the muse, I get to, you know, it's like, oh no, there's a, <laughs> the successful people actually put an effort in, you know, and it was. A, it was I know, and the people I know who are the muse kind of people, <clears throat> even they, they, I mean, like, the people I know who are the muse kind of people, they, they might not work for three or four or five days and then something will hit them and they'll work nonstop for like 36 hours and not sleep. Yes. Like it is the same amount of work, just compacted into compacted. like, I know, I know like, uh, like, uh, like uh, you know, I, I, I know songwriters who write like that. Like they can't just sit down and write a song. They'll just, they'll wait for something to hit them. But then when something hits them, you cannot talk to them. For like three or four days you know what i mean yeah they're just in it yeah. and uh yeah because you can't you can't replace the work you can't you know no there's no shortcut and i think too there's there's a borderline obsession with with what when you love what you do i think there is a level of obsession with that that nothing else matters this is that singular focus to complete this joke this song this album this movie this book that ability to narrow and do that and I've heard John Mayer talk about that actually about like it, it, he'll go down a rabbit hole where this one sound is just, and he, he cannot let it go. It's just, it's in there. And it's not until he deals with it in a way that he feels is, is, is sufficient to him. It's just, it'll just be in there rattling around the entire time. You know and I, but What about like over preparation? Like if you memorize all of your, I think about this with my job a lot. Like if, if you, if you memorize your jokes, so say, say if that's what working hard means, you work hard, you know, every single word of your jokes and you get on stage there's a bit of looseness that's missing. You right. know what I mean? Like there's a bit of, there's a bit of, there's a flicker that's missing. And one thing in my job that I'm, I'm constantly talking to people about in my line of work, um, which is a kind of my other line of work. Like I'm a musician and I do, and I do interviews. So I'm like, it's, it's sort of a, a weird duality. I think one definitely helps the other. Um, but is the idea of like, um, I will read and read and read and read and like do an incredible amount of research and highlight and everything and getting everything done. And then I'll read the questions I have like maybe three times. Right. And because I feel like I don't want to, I, I still want to be spontaneous. I still yeah. want to be able to, 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 to improvise. I still want to be able to have that. Do you ever think about that? Like over preparation? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. People like Bill Burr, for example, say they never write anything down. They've always felt like if it's funny enough, I'll remember it, you know? And there are other people like Jerry Seinfeld who are very economical with word choice. And I like to split the difference. It's like, I like to jot stuff down, but it does leave that room then of, I know the skeleton and the frame of it. And I know how I want to start and how I want to finish. But within mm -hmm. that, I've left wiggle room to kind of play and add on each show. Like, oh, here's another line I thought of in the moment. And I'll add that on. So you always, but when I first started, it was like, I know my script and I am going up there right now. I was at the mall the other day and I was at Dairy Queen. Anyone here ever go to a Dairy Queen? And then a glass would, <laughs> a glass would fall off a tray by a server and I'd be, oh, that wasn't, where was I? Uh, anyway, I'll start again. 
I was at the di- like, you know, you, you, you <laughs> couldn't be present in the moment, you know, and I think people go, wait a second, this is just, this is a speech he's giving. This is not a, you know, so I think you're right. There is a level of over-preparation that people can, uh, can have from time to time. Do you find crowd work loosens you up like that? Because crowd work, you have no choice, but to, yeah. I'm, not, I'm kind of interviewing you here, but like no, crowd no. work does, does kind of, you know, it forces you to be present. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. And I think you have to acknowledge the elephant in the room, regardless of what that is. But I've always felt when I go watch a comedian, I want to hear your thoughts. I don't want you to, I, I want to hear your prepared material. I don't want to see somebody, you know, ripping the guy in the front row for 30 minutes. You know, I just, it's just not something that I, it's still a skill and I, I, I give respect to it, but it's not something I would pay to see. I'd rather go, I want to hear your prepared, polished stuff, an act you've worked on, something you've built from scratch. Give me that. I'll pay top money to see that. So that's kind of how. I remember, yeah, I remember the first time I saw you was at the St. John's Comedy Festival at Mile One. And uh, I had never, I didn't know, I didn't know you. I'd never heard yeah. of you yet. And you, you, I was, a, I was like a kid and you came out and what was the, well, yeah, great joke. Uh, like they called him Trent. Like, oh yeah. Um, they, have, they have a name for black people in Newfoundland. Yeah. They have, a, they have a catchy name for black people in Newfoundland. <laughs> Trent. Yeah. yeah. Trent. <laughs> I, I, that, I, that is burned into my brain. That yeah. joke, how, how good that was. And then two after you, there was, well, I think it was, um, uh, maybe, maybe I won't say who it was, but there was a community who did, he did like crowd work for like 15 minutes and right. I was, bombed yeah yeah i was bummed new landers i don't think are good at accepting crowd work yeah like we're not used to being like we know if you're making fun of us yes you know what i mean yeah. we know you know we've been we, we've we've given and taken it enough at the dinner table yes. to know that like i know what you're up to here bullard you know what i mean <laughs> like i know what you're doing yeah exactly oh no, yeah you want to know what i do for a living do you yeah yeah keep it up you know, yeah. so you so you connected over here to Buddy over there down the orange shirt. No, I'm not giving yeah. you that. I'm I see it. I see what I see that call. My uncle does that. My <laughs> uncle does that. I don't like that when he does it either. Right? So they're sniffing I love it the up. idea of Newfoundlanders being immune to crowd work. They can't do it. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't need to know my wife's name. You don't need to know my don't wife's that. name. Don't answer that, Joanne. Don't answer that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Brent, Brent Butt used to always say that he would always, he said, Newfoundland is one of the few places, he said that there's a good chance that that the, uh, quite a few people in the crowd may be funnier than the comedian on stage, right? So he said, you always have to walk with that level of respect of like, thank you for letting me in your space and let me <laughs> giving me the opportunity to entertain you. I uh, think it's an incredible bravery to be a comedian from Newfoundland, you know, and I, th- I and I mean that, you know, I remember when I went with seeing you and seeing, um, and because I think comedians up until a certain point was like Mercer, and Mercer might have might as well have been Elvis. Like, yes, right. he didn't exist in the real world to me as a Newfoundlander. He was like, he was, you know, he, he was planet. he was huge. You yeah. know, he was from another planet. And then, and he was already gone by the time I came up. Like, the idea that Rick Mercer went to the same schools that I did was obscene to me. It didn't <laughs> exactly. make any sense, right? And then when I went to see the dance party in Newfoundland, Steve Cochran and, and Johnny Harris and Phil Churchill um, and uh, Dave Sullivan, and I went to see them and I was like, oh yeah, comedians? Like sketch comedy in Newfoundland? Oh, this is going to be horrible. Anyone <laughs> who tries to be funny in Newfoundland is typically not. And it was like the greatest thing I had ever seen. But it is, it's a risk to be funny in Newfoundland because everyone is already funny. Yeah, there's a strong possibility. Dude, all right. We'll get ready to wrap this up. Uh, I got time. I got. I got. I got another ten or fifteen. If you want. Oh, you're good. Okay. All right. We started uh, a bit late tonight. No, because I got a pizza in the oven. No. Uh, <laughs> no, you. You. You touched on a little bit about your interviews and the preparation that you do going into it. Um, it's funny because when I first started the podcast, I was a little bit nervous because I thought, well, what if I get a, a guest who is like, yes, no. 
Yeah. Well, that's a good question. You know, and I thought like, well, we'll have to fill all this time and space and all we'll do it. But generally, people know what they're doing, and they, you know, they know what, what a podcast format is, and they do it. And they want it to go well. They want it to go. Yes, well. they do. And and I think you know, because the only reason why I started the podcast was I, I missed the art of conversation. Like, I want the vibe to be if you and I sat backstage at a show in a green room and we're, we're just shooting the breeze, whether I know you or not. This is what the vibe it would be to me. You know, is that kind of thing, getting to know one another. Um, and and I like I enjoy doing that. But one of the things I like to do on the podcast is like when I reveal some about myself, generally people will also mirror that and they will also reveal something and it kind of, it just lowers barriers for yourself in terms of your own interview preparation. What are some things you think about going into an interview? What are some things you look about in terms of like your own headspace and, and what, I know you have questions prepared, but what's, what's the vibe you're going for at the end of the day? I, I'm lucky enough to work with a bunch of uh, pretty amazing producers, and, and you know, and they they typically, you know, in, in the case of Q in that work, uh, they pitch the guest quite often, and they, you know, and they'll do some research, and they'll hand me a big sheet of, you know, a bunch load of research that I take home at the end of the night, and then, you know, I I kind of digest it all, and we and we talk, and they they write a bunch of questions down, and I look at it with them, and I take stuff out, and I add other stuff, and then yeah, um, when I'm when I'm sitting down with the guest, there is a certain amount of like, all right, this is the Canadian public broadcaster this is you know there's a big audience here you know i i we gotta sometimes we gotta find stuff out you know like we gotta we gotta figure we gotta figure some stuff out but more often than not i know that like being um a, a folk musician and coming from interviewing you know people who make mugs and, and and crafts and songs i know how boring artistic work actually is in the best possible way right. like it's 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 i think if you're not an artist and if you don't have a background in the arts it can seem like a really amazing thing yeah that seems like literally amazing like I, i'm amazed that anyone can do it and you know i think once you understand that it, these songs like i think that's why you hear um gods and legends used to refer to artists because it seems it's the same language we use towards Zeus. It's the same language we use towards Mars, you know, like the things that the, the way that art can touch us is so profound and so incredible that it seems like it seems impossible. And I, I, I think that it's life is actually more rich and art is actually more meaningful. If we remember that we made it. That someone who is exactly like you made it. That someone who has the same blood, the same, the same nose, the same teeth, the same, you know, the same sweat, the same something, the same fears, insecurities, parents, weird relationships with their sister, uh, you know, what they don't use a placemat. The right. fact that every the, the fact that Alanis Morissette has a mom and a dad and like an aunt that probably don't talk to her and wrote you ought to know is far more profound for me than that Alanis Morissette was given a gift from God and wrote you ought to know. Bob Dylan told a story in the New York Times one time that he he um, well maybe a better example is I saw Bob Dylan at mile one mile one stadium in St. John's. And I went up to the front cause he's my hero. I was like, I, I, his music has touched me on a level that I've never been able to, I'll never be able, I don't know if he's my hero, but like his music has had a profound impact on me that it's hard for me to, it can completely change my life and I wouldn't be the same without it. And I went up and I was like, Oh, he's just a guy. He's wearing sweatpants. <laughs> like right. he's, he was wearing sweatpants. He's just a guy. Right. And, and I think I was a bit disillusioned by it. And then I read this, I read this interview with him in the New York times. And he said, 
oh yeah you know and someone said like do you go to your family reunions and he said yeah yeah i go and there's always some uncle that's going like when are you gonna write a song for me bobby <laughs> and i was like even bob dylan has to deal with that like somebody still at that music stuff are you bob still at that exactly or some uncle going to you and i like, why don't you write a joke about why don't you write a joke about cease <laughs> don't be you right you know, like, how come we don't interview me? Like, something like that. And I went like, I was like, Bob Dylan has to deal with that. And all of a sudden, I realized that life is richer and more profound if if the stuff that we, if we don't refer to artists as icons and legends or gods, but we see them as us and that, that what an amazing thing that humanity is capable of. And so when I, the, the answer is when I do my interviews, I'm trying to get that person. There's like a version of the interview where I'm doing, where I go like, so how did you do it? How did you do it? How do you write the answer? My friend, friend is blowing in the wind. It just hit you. And I think some artists will really indulge people with that. Yeah. And I think in the worst case scenario, they'll start to believe it themselves. Right. But what's what I really love is when I'm able to get an artist on and I just and we just start talking about they just sound like a person. Yeah. You know, like when when Alanis Moore said a couple of I had her on the other day and she said, like, oh my God, it was just so annoying to hear um that I didn't use the word ironic correctly. Like, <laughs> I know, I know how I know what ironic means. It was just a song. And I had all these people write me about it. It was annoying. And I was like, yeah, she has people writing her about grammar too. <laughs> and um, right. because ultimately I do, I do think and if my goal on the show is to try and expose people to more art and try to expose artists and, and, and try to, you know, all that kind of stuff. I, I think it's, it's far more meaningful if I can do it by going like, Hey, quilter in Nanaimo you are the exact same as David Cronenberg. You are the exact same as a, a tribe called Crest. You are, which is to say that not that anyone's normal, but that you're all amazing. Yes. By virtue that you're making stuff and that's meaning something to somebody, it's, it's a sign of how beautiful life is. It's a sign of what a gift life is. You know, it's yeah. a, it's so the, the, I know it's a, it's, it's a pretty wild answer, but like, that's really it. When I sit down with someone, I try to say like, who is this person? If, if they're willing to let me, and it's a matter of trust. I don't, if they're not willing to let me, that's fine. But, it, you know, um, if I can get you to say like, hey, I, and the best case scenario, if I can get you to say like, hey, yeah, I don't know. My dad was at firm or, or, you know, or, or yeah, my mom was, was an English teacher. Maybe there's someone listening who will go like, holy shit, like my mom was an English teacher. I can yeah. do that. Yeah. I can do that too. Yeah. You know, like, because when you don't do that, you wall it off from people and you don't, and if I can give people those comedian moments like that, that, that movie for you you know if i can give people those moments where they go like it's not that fancy to write songs anyone can do it yeah it's not that fancy to play fiddle anyone can do it who thought fiddle was fancy but you know what i mean like yeah well so that's kind of it i'm trying to find a humanity below a a lot of bullshit in celebrity culture yeah i would imagine it's it's that ability to when people reveal their insecurities I feel that's where people connect. I don't think we connect with people when they talk about their successes because that stuff seems, as you said about Rick back in the day. And when, when I watched comedians on television as a kid, I went, that's another planet. That's not something I can touch or be. But when someone talks about, oh, I don't know if this is going to work and I have no clue. I'm like, yeah, that, that, yeah, more on that. I, that's, that's who I am now. And most times. So can you tell me more? And you're right. There's connective tissue there. And it makes us feel like that. I can, I can achieve that thing then if you have those insecurities 
insecurities too. And it becomes very, very real, but up to a certain point in our lives, we don't get any of that access. And uh, no, I remember reading this interview with great big C also to a Newfoundlander were like, again, they yeah. were like Elvis, they were the Beatles. And I remember reading this interview uh, with Bob Hallett and he would, they, they asked him, they were like, so you must love being home. It must feel like a, a, a beautiful, warm homecoming where everyone understands you. And Bob, because the most honest person in the world was like, guest list sucks back home. I mean, like you got every cousin, you got every cousin and every niece and your mom's sister wants to get on the guest list. It sucks. And I was like, it does suck. You're right. Exactly. It does suck. The yeah. guest list at home sucks. Oh, it's brutal. It's brutal. You only get 30. And that's 30 <laughs> spots is so many spots. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you, oh, my God. It's awful. That's you know, hilarious. I that. That's hilarious. I remember getting texts to be, be backstage at like Holy Heart or Arts and Culture Center somewhere. And someone would blow me up on the phone and go, uh, Trent, now, uh, what time are you on? I'm like, what? I'm like, show starts at eight. Yeah, 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 I know that. But what time are you going to be on? Uh, I'm like, Buzz, why don't you just come to the show that you got tickets for and watch the full show? Yeah, no, we're over having wings now over at whatever. And we're trying to figure out what. I'm like, I can't be reading this on the phone before I'm about to go. Like, just, you know, but as a, it only happens. I think I've done it. I think I've done that. (laughs) I really think I've done that. I really think I have texted friends who have or have like opening bands before them and been like, okay, what time are you guys going to be on? And it's just hit me now that maybe I should just go to the show. Just go to that maybe show. Maybe just go to the show and have but, an extra beer. And Tom, what, by the way, what time is the show anyway? What time does it start? It's like, it's on the website. It's on social. Just just look up, open your phone and just look at the, yeah, but that's, and that's starting on time. Mr. Parking, like I can't be reading this shit. Before I go out. <laughs> so that's oh, it. Yeah, yeah. So when Bob said that about the guest list, I went like, <laughs> all of a sudden, Great Big C went from being the Beatles to being like, isn't it amazing yeah. that these working class guys from Newfoundland did something amazing? Yeah. Like, isn't that far more beautiful? It is. You're right. And and yeah, it's, there's some, there's a lot of comfort in that. All right, buddy, I'm going to let you go after this last question. I want to know you've okay. done, I don't know how many interviews you've done. Do, would you have any idea ballpark of how many interviews you've done on Q? Well, let or me do just, it right now. So let me, let's say I do, I got the calculator open. Sure. Let's say I do, let's give a rough, rough estimate of 17 a week, 52 weeks a year. And I take six off. So that's uh, 50. What is that? 40, 46. Um, 46 times I spent fifth year, 3,910. Crazy dude. Crazy. Yeah. I did. I didn't know that number until just then. That is pretty amazing. That's, that's stressing me out. That's yeah. a lot of, that's a lot of talks. <laughs> yeah. And both, two of them have done very well. The two of them have gone very well. Two of them really good, gone viral. Check them out. There's two of them. You have to dig through Brent your butt. shovel. <laughs> twice. Brent Butt twice. Did really well. Brent Butt one and two. Just type in Brent Butt. Brent Butt does do really well because corner gas fans are crazy. So they do. Oh, the, yeah, oh, yeah. They love it. They will go to the well for, for that show for sure. And he's um, an amazing guy. Have you interviewed him? He's great. No, no. I've never. It's so weird because in these circles, we've never, ever crossed paths. Comedy festivals, never been in the same place at the same time, which always. Which always amazes me too when you're a comedian, you realize like I've never been in the same room with such and such or whatever, you know, it's just the way it is. Um, Mark Rich. Mark Rich, for example, who I try to yeah, avoid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love you, Mark. You know, I love you. Um, this is the question. So, like, over 3,000 interviews, 
What interview do you see? He was just watching, waiting until we mentioned him, by the way. So oh, now no, he can no, turn no. it off. He just texted me, actually, now. He's like, yeah, good enough. You wouldn't mind plugging my book. <laughs> <laughs> he said, what? thank God I had to watch this thing for an hour before they said my name. Exactly. He's like, you take any callers? I'm like, no, we're not taking <laughs> uh, the OCM open line here. Um, so um, what interview do you think out of all those changed you the most? Where you, you were like, whoa, like that was... I'm going to need a moment or you left wondering something or thinking something or just stayed with you for a period of time afterwards. And you can take a moment because I do not mind dead air or not rushed. Hold on here now. Cause I think, I, I think, I, I mean, it's so many, I think I've written about this before, but I, um, let me see. All right. I mean, I could do this year on that, you know, like I, I think I have them. I have them all the time. Um, I interviewed uh, Chester Bennington. Was that his name? Just give me a second here. Now I want to make sure I get this right. You can, you can cut around this. Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park. No, but I interviewed the, 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 the surviving member. Um, Mike Shinoda. Okay. And Mike Shinoda came on to talk about the death of Chester Bennington. And I didn't know this man and I didn't know me. And we had a really, really profound conversation about death and about mortality that, that, um, and again, this is a band that has reached the pinnacle of success. And I saw that they were just a band that got together of people that truly loved one another. Anthony Hopkins was uh, very meaningful for me um, because he uh, he performed poetry and he talked about again he talked about mortality and he talked about you know waking up every day and just and just trying to do your work the best you possibly can and not worrying too much about fame and, and all that kind of stuff and he had a couple of moments of just like I'm now in my 80s and now I'm able to reflect and I spoke to Killer Mike. Um, shortly after the murder of George Floyd and he spoke about empathy and he spoke about kindness and he spoke about um, love and he spoke about trust and he spoke about unionization. And he spoke about the labor movement. And he spoke about why protest is, is important and protest is good. And that, and that sort of changed me. But I'd say, I'd say every, every day or every, every once a week, I am, I mean, it's, it's the gift of the show as an artist is that I can be profoundly moved in my own art practice, in my own life, in my own creativity, in my own relationship, in my own friendships, by talking to pretty profound people. Um, and it's, it's, it's impossible to say, and you're making me realize I probably should have an answer. Uh, but I, I mean, things I have, I, I've, I've, gone to therapy because of my show because of conversations i've had about how it's okay to go to therapy i've um worked harder at, at my own work because of conversations i've had about work i've taken time to laugh more because of conversations i've had about how short life is i have learned so many and when the time comes that i'm done this show i will have learned an unbelievable amount about not just about art and craft but like how to actually live your life in an authentic way because when you speak to artists the great ones are living their lives incredibly authentically yeah. and um 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, there, there's no shortage of them, Trent. I can't, geez, my God, I can't man down one. No, I'm uh, sure. But every, you know, every single, I think I get something from every single one, you know, whether it's about grief or loss or joy or happiness or any of that stuff. I'm, I'm, I don't know, man. Like I, again, like, I don't know how, I, I don't know. You never know in this business, how long you're going to end up doing something, you know, uh, you never take any of that stuff for granted, but I, I, I'm incredibly grateful that I was able to, that I have been able to, and I've been continuing to be able to have my life change on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, no, man. So it's a great answer. Uh, not the one I was looking for considering you did interview me, but you know, uh, Tom, that's fine. I mean, it was a softball question, quite frankly, Tom, and, and swing and miss there was what a shot to the pants that was, but, uh, <laughs> No, listen, you all had to say, all had to say great, was Trey McClellan, we're out. You know what I mean? And we, we, yeah. well, it's, you know, no, listen, I, 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 you totally, and you and Lou, you and Lou Begoy and the rest of your first <laughs> doing an amazing <laughs> job. Don't, uh, don't discount yourself that easy. You know, you guys are the chicken cannon. You guys are killing. Oh them. yeah. We, uh, he does know who I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I agree, dude. I think, you know, you have, I, I guess I, I would say the same thing on the podcast. I mean, I've done nowhere near the amount of episodes you've done, but it's amazing when people let you into their lives and their process and are, you know, completely authentic with you, how much you learn and how much you learn about yourself and your own journey and your own life. So I, I relate to everything you said uh, in all seriousness. It's just empathy, man. It's just yeah. literally just empathy. Like you are able to be part of someone else's life and understand their thoughts and their li- their lives. And, and I mean, we all know that's the key to life, right? We all know that empathy is the key to living a, a great life. And um, I'm, I'm yeah. lucky enough to, to be in a position where I'm professionally obligated to have it. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm able to exercise it, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. Well, dude, uh, best of luck with the Dardanelles album. Uh, congrats on that. And uh, make sure you uh, send me some info on that too. And we'll, we'll give it a plug for sure on the on the podcast as well. And uh, all the best with Q this season. And uh, thanks for doing it, man. It was a great chat. Uh, Trent, thanks so much for having me. I love talking to you. I wish we could hang out in real life. I wish yeah. you were in Toronto. More likely, I wish I was in the Atlantic bubble. Please let me in the Atlantic bubble. Can you get me into the Atlantic bubble? <laughs> Please. Okay. Uh, Please. Trent, what time? You can text me now, like you're trying to get tickets to like Atlantic <laughs> bubble tickets. I'm like, my time, I only got two left. I don't, I mean, get here now. Can you get here in the next 15 minutes, Tom? The guest list sucks at home. It's the <laughs> last unspoken thing of our of our industry. I bet in Cornerbrook, the guest list sucks. Oh, it's it? And the people that I haven't talked to since grade eight are like, Trent, what's going on, man? So happy for you. You wouldn't have a couple. It's like, I haven't heard that name since like, <laughs> since, since chips came in a paper bag. That was the last time I heard and this person's like, oh, man, I just want to see how you do. <laughs> so, been ages, man. Been ages. That's a T-shirt, though, buddy. I'll tell you right now, the guest list sucks at home should be a T-shirt and someone can make a lot of money off that. So Bob, um, Bob Allen. Came yeah. Bob will do it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> quote Bob Howell. Um, anyway, buddy, take care. Thanks again for the time. Appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, I'll be able to see you in person at some point down the road. Ben, thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Cheers. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, Tom was a great guest. Love talking to him. Um, he's a very, very deep guy as well. And I, uh, I know I'm really, <clears throat> excuse me. Really enjoying those conversations more now than ever. Um, people letting you into their their thought process and uh, and where they're at with it all and, and how they view things. And uh, really, really enjoyed that one. And thank you guys for listening yet again. 
Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to share the podcast. I know a lot of folks now are going back through old episodes and and uh, commenting on their favorites and which ones they enjoy the most. So uh, thanks so much. Again, subscribe. Leave a little review if you'd like, wherever you uh, listen to podcasts and whatnot. And uh, we'll see you next week on TGP. TGP.